Hello and welcome to the Ramen Profitable Podcast. My name is Atish Mazumdar and I'm here with my co-pilot, the great and powerful Chris Scott. And this is the podcast about testing out your ideas, taking your first steps, and really overcoming those obstacles on the way to entrepreneurship. Enjoy. Yeah, it's like a, it's a weird thing, COVID. It's a weird yeah, thing. Did Lond- you- London has a new strand of it, which is insane. What? Yeah, I guess they canceled Christmas in London or England because there's a new strain in the UK. Oh, shit. Well, yeah. I mean, Christmas is sort of canceled with me, too, because not like canceled in that sense, but um, in the sense that uh, my my parents who are old are probably not going to be like we, usually we would go to Vail to hang out with them, but we're not going to be doing that. So we're just going to be hanging out in uh-huh. lovely Phoenix In lovely Phoenix in lovely Phoenix. So uh, by ourselves. So uh, Christmas, eh. It's going to be a little different this year, but honestly, I don't mind it. More time for me to sleep and work out. Right. Like, we all need to do that. Yeah. Yeah. More time to sleep, more time to work out, more time to watch uh, watch movies. <laughs> more time to watch movies. Which uh, this... So, uh, yeah. So, so, yeah. Explain what's going on here. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, I think... So, there's two things going on here. Um, number one is that we have kind of an annual tradition, Chris and I have an annual tradition uh, to finally, because Chris watches Chris stuff year round, and I watch a Tish stuff year round, and only in these rare circumstances do they actually meet in the middle. Sometimes it's like a Venn diagram. Yeah, it's actually just like a Venn diagram, where the small section is where a Tish stuff and Chris stuff meet in the middle, like... um, uh, what's an example of that? <laughs> uh, very good question. We uh, we both watched uh, like Stranger Things and like popular yeah, stuff. Stranger like Things. Yeah, yeah. Maybe like maybe like a John Wick. Like a John Wick. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. yeah exactly. Like so John Wick. Maybe. Uh, yeah. That's that's where we meet in the middle. But for a vast majority, there's Chris stuff and there's a Tish stuff, and they and they live in two separate worlds. So the holidays are the time of year where Chris and I now this is the second year. Uh, where we take the opportunity to force each other to watch, <laughs> to watch, <laughs> to watch something, yeah, something out of the other person's bubble. So, so that's what happened. So that's number one. What's happening? Number two, Chris and I also have a long-standing debate that I don't think we've actually ever flushed out. So I'm not sure we, we might actually have the same conclusions, but I don't think we've flushed it out. But we've had a long-standing debate about who the best Bond is. And which are the best Bond movies. And to that end, I don't think either of us made each other watch any contender for the best Bond movie. I think we can both agree that. Yeah, your selection was so weird for the Bond one. (laughs) Uh, There's there's a method to it. I was like puzzled. I'm puzzled as to why you chose that one for your Bond choice. But we'll get there. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there (laughs) soon enough. But so that is to say that this is the annual. I mean, it's not CSS anymore. So this is the annual ramen profitable. uh, I don't know. What do we what do we call that? Like movie. Call us a holiday special. A holiday special. Welcome to the ramen profitable holiday special. And uh, And part one can be the obscure movies we pick for each other. Yes. And part two is going to be our James Bond discussion. Yeah. So 
that way you know you can you can either you know tune in for this obscure movie just <laughs> the movie selections in and of themselves i think are a little hilarious um <laughs> and the uh so so you can listen to that if you're just you know burning to to figure out who our favorite bond is and and uh what bond movies we selected this time around uh just you can go ahead and skip to that we might uh we should we should create a a link to part 1 and part 2 and link them together does that sound good yeah we'll we'll figure that out we'll figure that somehow. out we'll do that on the back end but uh all right so first up let's let's uh w- walk me through this walk me through uh the first time you watched blind fury oh man i don't know when the first time was that i watched blind fury i should be clear i had never ever ever heard of this movie before in my life like at all yeah you're welcome for (laughs) you know having me introduce this movie to you Mm -hmm. i think a a large part of my childhood was just uh not watching normal kids movies Mm -hmm. so i I, we used to go to video stores when i was a kid to rent movies Mm because you know Cable wasn't really a thing. It'd be like Blockbusters or Hollywood Video. Uh, but the local one that we went to was Zips. Zips, Zips yeah. Video. Yeah. Yeah. And so every week we always rented like really crazy action movies. Mm-hmm. And they're mostly because they're the movies that my mom would watch. Mm-hmm. She would watch all these crazy action movies. And she was okay with us watching them for some reason. <laughs> so imagine being like 10 years old watching like Commando. Oh, my God. <laughs> Yeah, and yeah. like Terminator 2 and like just being this young kid and watching all these crazy, you know, total recall. Oh, wow. And just, yeah, yeah. You know, it's just like having uh, watching these crazy action movies that are, you know, they they were a little uh, not raunchy, I guess you could say, but they were definitely like gory. Yeah. They had some raunch in there. They were, you know, they pushed their limits. It was the 80s and 90s. That's what the 80s and 90s were. All those movies were really like the only descriptor I have for them is that they're very big. You know what I mean? Like, especially like Commando and stuff like that. Like, it's very big. Like, the set pieces are big, and then the action sequences are big, and the people's arms are flying off and all kinds of crazy stuff. So right, they're extreme. They're these extreme, like gory scenes, and it's yeah. just uh, they're uh, it's just unrealistic. I guess is probably why we were given the go ahead to watch them. Because yeah, it's, as, it's not like watching a snuff film. You know what I mean? It's different. Right. Right. Definitely. Yeah. So. I assume the first time I watched Blind Fury was one of those movie trips where we rented this movie, and I just think it's a cool movie. <laughs> well, and and just for you know uh, the audience, and we'll do we'll do plugs at the end. But uh, if there's some way that listeners can get their hands on Downshift, I think that's the one where you can really see the influence uh, because because it it. It has not. I mean, good cop, mom cop for sure. But that one has a little bit of extra nuances to it that uh, I think downshift really shows like your your influence of these movies, because like especially those musical overtones that are driving like that feeling throughout it. <clears throat> I think you can really see it. Yeah. So Blind Fury, uh, if uh, if uh, anyone wants to watch, go ahead and watch. It's on YouTube for free with ads. So so you do have some ads in there. I looked for it on Hulu and Netflix, just in case if you could get an ad free version wasn't on there, but it's on um, Prime Video. Oh, is it? Okay, okay. Uh So so you can get on Amazon Prime or YouTube with ads. So if you don't have a Prime account, if you're not paying for Netflix, if you're not paying for Hulu, which honestly, what are you doing? You know, if you're not doing any of those things, but um, but that's fine. If you don't have any of those things, you can still find it on YouTube. Um, 
interesting movie. I'll, <laughs> I guess uh, I'll go ahead and summarize since I just watched it. You go ahead and jump in and correct me wherever you feel that there needs to be some correction. All right. I'm, I'm down. Okay. So uh, it's all centered around a character, uh, Nick Parker. Nick Parker is a Vietnam vet who uh, it, it uh, the the structure initially in the movie kind of confused me because I didn't it just oh actually let me summarize I'll, then I'll get to that note so it's a, centers around Nick Parker who's a Vietnam vet who because of kind of uh, the the enemy getting the jump on him and and his crew uh, he's blinded and then he's lost out there in the jungle and then he gets uh, basically taken in by these villagers and they teach him like the way of the sword and all this uh kung fu slash uh uh like tai chi slash feng shui like whatever they're they're teaching him uh how to how to use a sword and how to use uh i guess blindness to his advantage so think like well not really blindness to his advantage but not having it be a problem i guess you could say so using heightening his senses and training him in the way of the sword uh he then the movie like cuts and it must have spanned like a decade or something like that i don't really (laughs) i don't really know what happened there um but now he's out looking for uh one of his buddies he ends up at his buddy's house his buddy's been kidnapped uh by this like las vegas casino owner I don't know. Yeah, because uh, he's looking for his friend, Frank Devereaux. Yeah, who who is played by... I was distracted the whole time because he's played by the same guy who played John Locke from Lost. And uh, I just... I wanted him to be yelling to everyone, like, never tell me what I can't do, or whatever the fuck he says in Lost. Um, but, uh, but he's basically doing a, a Walter White, where he's kind of making meth for these Reno Vegas... People. Yeah, yeah. Like they're they're calling him a chemist and they're saying that, you know, oh, you don't want to be like our last chemist who we got rid of because he wasn't compliant and all that kind of stuff. So he's making some uh, designer drugs is the way that they refer to it in the movie, which tells you from which time period this was, because I haven't heard that phrase uh, ever. Um, right. <laughs> so designer drugs. So there's this Vegas guy who's keeping his uh, Vietnam buddy uh, locked up to make to make meth. Or designer drugs, whatever that means. So, uh, so uh, Nick Parker, the the blind samurai, is trying to track him down, and he uh, ends up at his family's house, where now the the thugs and the goons show up at the same time. They end up killing the mom, and so now blind Nick Parker is responsible for not only finding his buddy, but also in the meantime taking care of his buddy's kid. Um, who is so annoying. <laughs> <laughs> you say you say that about every kid, though. Uh, yeah, that's true. I, I guess I don't really get... I recently watched Home Alone, too. And it's like, man, you know, it, it is like a, tr- a really scary and tragic thing to leave your kid home alone for two days while you go to France. Like, I don't even know how you do that. But, man, is that kid annoying in the first sequence of the movie. So I kind of get it. I kind of get it. Um, oh, my goodness. So Can't now you have kids. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what that's like. So now Nick Parker is evading the thugs that are sent after him and trying to look for uh, his friend. And I won't give away the ending, um, but it's a crazy movie. It is a crazy movie. It's like at first they make you think 
that the entire time um, the sequences are going to be kind of like Mr. Magoo-esque because uh, you, you immediately know that Nick is very talented at using his other senses um, because they do a sequence in the beginning where he's like walking around puddles and navigating, even though he's blind, just with his cane. Um, but then the first, oh, that's like, right. He steps over, the, he steps over the poop yeah. and then he steps over the alligator. Exactly. Oh yeah. Yeah. But he calls it a dog and stuff like that. Like it's, it's vaguely Mr. Magoo esque. And so I got the idea that this was going to be one of those movies. And it is one of those movies that balances like comedy and action, you know, f- pretty well. Um, but I thought this was going to be one of those movies like, um, drunken master or something like that, where it's like his fighting style is almost completely accidental. Like it's like a three stooges esque or something like that, because in the first encounter that he has with these thugs and one of these guys is absolutely over the top, just like typical, but the guy who's like throughout the movie. Okay. Yeah. You know what uh, I mean? Slade Slade or slash something? Slade or slash or something like that. Something like that. Yeah. 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 Because um, I think they dubbed in his like sounds afterwards or uh, what slag slag, slag. Is what what is that called when you do audio afterwards adr adr so i think they did some of that afterwards so it's it's so funny because uh you can hear him like making menacing noises but they come in so much clearer and louder than the rest of the movie's audio so it's just like it, it, it goes over everything else he goes ha, 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 and his mouth isn't moving and everything else is just going it's awesome um <laughs> But yeah, so in the first encounter that he has with these thugs, it's like he's it's making it look like everything is accidental, like the way that he's moving to like block things and hit them and stuff like that. It's all accidental. So I thought that that was going to be the the like rhythm of the rest of the movie. And then the movie just like goes hardcore, like <laughs> somewhere. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know if it's I don't know when it happened after that first scene, because in the first scene, he's just using the cane as a cane like it's not. It's not any. Oh, yeah. No, he chops off this guy's hand uh, because the cane is revealed to be a sword. And right. Well, that happens when they attack the mom. Yeah. Uh, the, the kid's mom, the uh, army buddy's ex-wife. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, they have they have like two fake cops show up and shoot the mom and, you know, kill the mom. And that's when he like that's when the rage kicks in. Yeah. 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 Exactly. That's when he's not doing the bumbling Mr. Magoo thing anymore. So then he like pulls out the sword and starts cutting up hands. And then it just like takes that crazy pace for the rest of the movie. Like when I say this movie just gets right into it, it gets right into it, man. It's like like you that the time from the setup to the time that he's killing the first goons in that fight with the with the with the cane sword less than what would you say like? 15 20 like less than 15 minutes i'd say it, it gets right into no it's it. it's quick it's like eight minutes yeah it's it's just yeah it's just like guns straight forward like i was blown away because i started watching this and i was like okay you know there's a little setup he's a blind guy um because i feel like typically this sta- same style of movie which um i call these uh same same genre as john wick same genre as uh, i call them rampage movies Okay. You know what I mean? So like same idea as uh, John Wick or like what's another Rampage movie? Uh, Man on Fire is kind of a Rampage movie. Man on Fire. Okay, I can see that. Um, yeah, because he's trying to get the girl. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it, it all starts with like or, or like a really good example that kind of aligns with this would be um, uh, Recent. Taken. 
Taken, yes. Okay, Taken. Um, what's the recent Denzel thing? What is that called? Uh, equalizer? Yes, Equalizer, right? Because he's okay. like, here's some simple, unassuming, older guy, right? And uh, then he just wants to live his life and do his thing. Then the bad guys come and stick their nose in it or somehow get involved. And now they've woken up a, a fury, a blind fury, <laughs> like like never seen before. Um, yeah, that was, man, it's just a crazy paced movie. Like it just goes nonstop. There's a couple little breaks where he has to like bond with the kid or make the kid like... Um, and it usually is like set off with a gag. Uh, here's what <laughs> I want to know. The movie's from the 80s, right? Or is it from the early 90s? 89. 89. Okay, so right on the yeah. cusp. Here's what I want to know. Did people used to just like fuck with blind people a whole lot or something? Like, was that like a commonly accepted thing? Because everybody in this movie is just like putting shit in his food or giving him the finger right to his face or like just ridiculous stuff. Was that just more commonly accepted back then or what's happening? I don't recall, but I do know that over time, this, I don't know if you've noticed a lot of older comics are always complaining about being politically correct mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and, and how, you know, you can't say this anymore. You can't say that anymore. And they're really upset and angry about it. Yeah. Yeah. The 80s and the 90s is when it was cool to say those types of things. Right, yeah. And, and like putting someone down was worth it for the laugh. Yeah. Like their their emotions, their response to it was not uh, important at all. It was mm. what, what it took to get the laugh to happen. And just being mean and cruel back in the day was definitely uh, a funny thing, in qu- air quotes. Yeah, I mean, it, it, in this case, it kind of matches the the tone of the movie because it's like there is comedic elements naturally you know what i mean so it it kind of matches the tone especially given the fact that part of the character of nick parker i think is to be all like really reserved and very even he doesn't you know like he's not gonna lose his temper or, or get provoked really because but everybody in the beginning is fucking with him right just everybody i i I think he might have been one of those guys as opposed, you know, because as in uh, the flashback when he tells a story about when he loses his vision, mm-hmm. he seemed like one of those rowdy, like drunk guys that would make fun of someone else. Yeah, but if you, I, I noticed this last time rewatching it that like all the guys that are super making fun of blind people are the bad guys, right, they're the, the thugs, guys. and they're all really dumb and kind of stupid. Yeah, which is really funny to me. Yeah, but you also had a moment where he first meets the the mom, mm-hmm. where she's like. And the kid's like, is he gonna? Is he blind? But yeah. he, she cuts him off before she says blind. She says he's visually impaired, mm. which I think is like, what's you know, is this movie? This movie's being very pro blind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, or or basically, it's it's uh, it's. I mean, it's very pro like being because it's it's essentially the same daredevil message, right? That's like, look, right. being impaired in one way doesn't mean you you might be even differently abled in other ways. You know what I mean? So, right. so it's it's very it follows that daredevil messaging, um, or at least it's very, you know, yeah, it is very supportive of right, the vision right. impaired community, which I think is interesting for a movie from 1989 because you'd never see that in a movie no. from back in the day. Yeah, yeah, no, nobody nobody gave a shit about uh, like back Anything. then. Yeah, and, and that even comes into play. I mean, that'll come more into play in, in the Bond conversation because those are movies from now we're talking about like the 60s, 70s, you know, moving up. And man, the just like so a, a lot of the stuff ages well, 
some of it doesn't like that's no you know what i mean it's like there's there's quite and just because there's been what 26 movies now there's a lot of material that that kind of makes you be like ooh, bond comes back off like a total scumbag (laughs) yeah there's some cringy moments in there but uh, i was surprised at how well this one held up blind fury Uh, yeah yeah, you know, it it doesn't have any I mean there's there's like obviously some little wonky things about, you know, practical effects that would obviously be done better or differently with a larger budget or like a big, you know, but there wasn't anything that really overtly ages it more than more than what you would think. Like for instance, if I watch a movie from the same time period because there's a lot of movies that came out around that time that were pushing 3D, like the first big push of 3D. Uh-huh. And the, or maybe the second, because I think the first might have happened in the 70s. <clears throat> but those movies all look like shit and they all like all their effects look like shit because they're they're trying to go for this next avenue that we don't have the technology for. Whereas I felt like this was all really well within its, you know, it, it wasn't also doing because that's another thing that some of the like really older Bond movies suffer from is they're doing something really ambitious like, oh, we're going to show a spacecraft that's, you know, uh, docking with another spacecraft. And right, they're, they're taking, right. And it just looks like really terribly done. Whereas with this, it was all, you know, um, th- there's a really fun sequence um, where the blind guy is driving. <laughs> Oh yeah, through Reno. Yeah, yeah that's a great yeah. sequence. This is it's a really fun sequence where the blind guy's driving and he's kind of doing all this like defensive combative driving almost, but it's it's all it, and it's all it's it's all just effects like that. You know what I mean? I think the the like I'm trying to think maybe the most ambitious kind of stuff they're doing. I mean, they do a lot of cool stuff with uh like pyrotechnics in in the Vietnam scenes. Um, and stuff like that, but it's, it's not really overreaching itself. So it doesn't seem as dated as a lot of the movies from, you know, 85 and up, you know, to the, I think what it is, is, is it's all, um, practical effects. Mm -hmm. There's no, you know, they can't make the car flip digitally. Like you can in John wick, you know, they have to actually really flip that car. Yeah. 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 Well, and, and to a degree that also kind of helps with the, um, the believability, which is a ridiculous thing to say under (laughs) Under this context, because this movie, I mean, uh, the like, it's just a fun plot. It's not it's not going for realism specifically. But, you know, like I said, there's those practical effects where, um, you know, he's he cuts off a dude's hand while while he's like pointing a gun and stuff like that. And so you just see that the hand drop and stuff like that. Like it's it's just stuff like that. It's it's nothing too. You know, uh, like and that's kind of the thing that, you know, Star Wars is obviously a classic. Nobody's knocking that you know right but when you start introducing a bunch of lasers and stuff like that that you're and especially now the new george lucas edits just make it look like even more like shit because it's crammed full of like all these like really cgi yeah like, it's really busy yeah it's really, really busy, busy for some reason this one's yeah. a little bit more clean it, it doesn't have you know um i'll tell you what scene i like the best and and i'm don't want this is near the end so i'm not i'm hopefully not gonna Spoil. I think, I think we're. I think we should spoil it. The movie's been out since 1989. Okay. Yeah. And it's kind of a predictable ending. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a predictable ending, and it it ends exactly the way uh, like the the real ending ending like right when it's ending. It ends basically like every movie from that time period I've ever seen kind of happen. Right. Well, it 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 mirrors what happened at the beginning of the movie. 
when the kid throws a dinosaur out the window. Oh, Are you yeah. talking about that? Yeah. Well, that, and, but and like he catches it in yeah. the front yard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I kind of mostly meant the, you know, that, oh, I got to leave, you know, whatever. And now I'm going to walk solo down this down, down this dusty road by myself, like lone figure, you know, whatever. It, it kind of follows that same trope. But there's this great scene at the end. So um, so uh, 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 Nick Parker is able to. I, yeah, fuck it. If, if people don't know this plot or whatever, I mean, just go watch it. It's fun. Um, but it's not something that you're it, there's no. Shyamalan twist so you're gonna be like oh man they ruined it like it's it's fine um but uh he he ends up going to to save his buddy uh and uh which first of all there was, it was just like a weird scene where they're fighting in a laboratory and then on their way out because it's it's a laboratory in a basement of a Vegas casino yeah yeah <laughs> it's just wild um but there's this great scene where he has to fight this like actually this like Japanese swordsman that this guy has brought in. Like the bad guy has brought in um, this Japanese swordsman who is not blind, you know, whatever. And I guess is like the best of what he does. And so now there's this really great, almost kind of like enter the dragon esque scene where um, Nick is going back and relying on his fundamentals of his uh, sword play kind of technique to beat this guy who has vision and is also a great swordsman. So it's like, it's, it's a good match because he pretty much flies through all the other people who have guns and all that kind of stuff. But it's, it's a fun matchup. You get some cool, uh, cool little uh, fight sequences. Exchanges. Yeah. Yeah. Little sword clinks. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it just is reminiscent of like, or it made me think of enter the dragon, the end of the movie where, you know, there's the mirrors and he has Uh to like, you have to use the force basically <laughs> to to be able to beat the opponent. Nick Parker starts to use the force. That's basically what happens, um, and, and and it's a lot of fun. It was it was, uh, but I don't know how many how many times have you revisited this movie? Just out of curiosity, so many times. This is like my second favorite movie of all time. Really? So this and comes I, yeah. after Rima Williams. This comes after Rima Williams, right before Over the Top. <laughs> but. Uh, I don't know. I feel like this is this movie has what I think a lot of action movies are missing nowadays. Mm-hmm. And I think John Wick kind of had it in the first one with the dog dying. Yeah. But like like an emotional arc that goes throughout the whole movie. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, the kid was annoying at the beginning, but they like bonded by the end. Right. That's that's kind of the thing is that, you know, you get this really kind of stoic character at the beginning who seems to only be focused on, you know, whatever the mission is that's driving him or something like that. By the end, they're actually, you know, they've learned to rely like like Nick goes through the sequence where he's teaching the kids stuff. Like when he's getting the kid to uh, they they both get captured at some point in time and Nick's teaching the kid how to like get out of the the cuffs or whatever, uh, the, Uh the zip ties or whatever it was that they had him in, you know. And so by the end, they've really bonded together and it's like. He uh, uh, and so that's the ending that I'm kind of referring to. That's so like classic 80s where he's like, you got to stay, you know, whatever. It's very. um, No, I think it's a little more deep than what you're thinking. Oh, lay it on me. Yeah. Remember when uh, he didn't tell the kid his mom was dead until they got to the cornfield. Oh, right. Yeah. Weird. Yeah, that was weird. And the kid is just like crying the whole time. And he's telling a story how he can't cry anymore because his eyes are messed up. The part Uh of his head. That makes tears. His eyes can't do that anymore. Uh-huh. And then he tells a story about the war where he lost his vision. 
and how his father just bailed on him, just left him out there alone. Oh. And then I think then that I think that's when the cool corn cornfield scene happened. When the kid's like running through the cornfield and he has to chase after him, and then Slag oh. shows up with like the biker gang. Yeah, 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 and he's just taking him out in the cornfield. Yeah, yeah, and he's like slicing all their heads off or whatever he does. Yeah, um, yeah, making them shoot each other. Yeah. Yeah, that's oh, dude, that <laughs> that was great. That was like, yeah, and so they do that kind of thing where they're they're mixing the Mister Magoonis with <laughs> action sequences. Yeah, they mix it's the like comedy and action. Yeah, yeah, because he like taps the guy in front of him who's looking after him with the gun, and then dives into the corn so that when the guy turns around, he just like fires and plugs his dude right in the chest. <laughs> that was pretty funny. So, so the implication then is, is that uh, because at the he end, can't cry. Yeah, because I do remember at the end. That, you know, they're saying their goodbyes and uh, the kids being like, I hate you. Like you're you're leaving, you know, whatever. And as he's walking away, he definitely has like a tear going. He has a tear in his eye. And after he catches that toy again, like right. that mirrors the fir- one of the first scenes, the kid's toy. Yeah. Where the kid throws a dinosaur off the bridge. Yeah. He's yeah. like, I hate you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's it's a it's it's some good stuff. There's, uh, you know, uh, let's see. I, I took some notes. All right, so a little history about this. I think it's based off a Japanese film series, and I think they wanted to mirror that in America. Mm, okay. Uh, Zat- Zatoichi is the Japanese blind swordsman. Yeah, okay. There was, there was, uh, t- in two ways, I kind of thought that. Um, number one, the, the blind swordsman, because I first heard about that concept actually from um, the Boondocks. Are you familiar with what I'm talking about? I know of, of the Boondocks. I've never seen him yeah it's it's an animated series that was really kind of good in the first season and then was just not good for the rest it had like two or three other seasons and it just wasn't interesting but it was very like irreverent and politically driven in the first season and stuff like that so it was interesting uh but they have an episode about a blind samurai and because it's an animated show it kind of draws heavy from like um you know, like anime or, or, you know, whatever, but of course it's repackaged in an American sort of format. And so that got me like then. So I started watching all these other movies that it was like, I guess doing takeoffs of, and this movie Uh is a lot like that. Like, it's like, it's very quest driven and uh, people underestimate the blind swordsman, but he just has like masterful technique and stuff like that. And then by the end he's fighting a, equally like well-trained swordsman and stuff like that, but he has to tap into his unique abilities as a blind person to be able to like conquer this guy basically. Uh And so, so, but I also thought it was a lot like, and I don't know if this is, maybe this is just something that's replicated in um, like a lot of Western movies or a lot of whatever, but I couldn't help thinking about um, the, the Mandalorian Right. This is definitely, I was just thinking about that right now, how it's very similar to the Mandalorian. Yeah. You know, a guy taking care of a kid, trying to get him to their father right. or, or a Jedi. Yeah. 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 Get him from point A to point B. And now you're encountering all this shit and you know, whatever. And, uh, and I know just because people talk about it and actually, I don't really know that much about it, but people say that the Mandalorian is very like old samurai, you know, mixed with Western kind of style. Well, if you, uh, I don't know if you ever watched like the Clint Eastwood, the Man with No Name trilogy. Yeah. The yeah. Fistful of Dollars, mm-hmm. uh, A Few Dollars More, uh, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Those were based off of samurai movies. Oh, really? Yeah. There's like Yojimbo is one of them. Is Yojimbo is uh, A Fistful of Dollars. 
They're oh. like they like mirror each other. Yeah, oh. it's basically a guy shows up, blah 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 blah. Things happen. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. It's definitely a, a trend or a, a thing to do of mimicking a Japanese samurai movie to a Western. Yeah, yeah. I've I've uh, that, I've heard a lot about it. I haven't watched a, a lot of the Japanese source material, but like for instance, the the Clint Eastwood movies in particular, it is. Like it is that kind of style. I've I've definitely seen like parallels in that sort of sense. Yeah. So I think they were trying to do that here and make their own series, but it just didn't work out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it'd be interesting. <laughs> it'd be interesting to see it franchised or something like that, because it's, uh, I don't know uh, how many ways you could repackage this movie. You know what I mean? Because it's it's it has comedic elements. It has action elements, you know, whatever. But but could it carry a sequence like could you be doing the same character in multiple movies i'm not sure right yeah i don't know but let me ask you this sure so like like in the westerns a fistful of dollars and you know like this movie blind fury also uh it's like a it's been a little uh not whitewashed but it's like a white guy being trained in this ancient asian art yeah and then we follow them on their journey right like, do you care about that? Does anybody care about that? I don't know. Cause that's because I've noticed a couple of my I, I I appreciate the Asian art form of martial arts and all that skill set, and I do think you know they want to, but it's kind of like it, I don't think it's like being a, a culturally appropriated. Mm. But this one kind of I feel like is a little on the fence because it's. Just Rutger Hauer, who obviously has no, uh, yeah, like no like connection to the no art form background or like with that. that whatsoever. Right. It's just uh, you know he just signed on to this role, which is you know. Fine. Well, and that's that's something that I think you know because if we take movies that we've mentioned already that follow the genre, I think that that's something that ended up being you know because one of the things that people really credit Keanu for for John Wick is that he spent so much time getting the judo exactly right and like learning the technique and doing all this stuff so that when it translates to the to the movie he's really just that's what kind of makes John Wick so special in a way because it's not mm-hmm. all in all is the plot really anything that you know in particular no and frankly no. this was the part actually this is why in my opinion John Wick gets worse as the series goes on i thought the first was the best uh the dog sequences in number three were really cool. Uh, so maybe it goes one, three, two, as opposed to one, two, three. Oh, but two has the, uh, the really, uh, I like the, uh, the, the deaf girl. I think she was, in, was she, wasn't she in three? I thought she was in two. Now I'm getting confused anyways. <laughs> but the point is, is that what made it all kind no, of two was, two was with common in Italy, right? Two was with Common in Italy, but it was also, it was also with the, with her, with the Orange is the New Black girl. Okay. Because, yeah. So, okay. Here's what I hate about the John Wick movies as it relates to Blind Fury. So I'm, I'm going to relate the, the two series. Here's what I like about Blind Fury and John Wick. And here's what I don't like about both. (laughs) Uh, So what I like about both movies is that uh, I I always love this playoff of, you know, the uh, like man or woman with an impossible mission that they are just, 
you know, they have to do it anyways, or, or they're like bound by honor. Or in the case of John Wick, he's just <laughs> a fucking animal <laughs> and he just is going to, you know, re- avenge his dog or like, you know, whatever. Um, but this person against this like large organization, the odds are all stacked against them and stuff like that, but they have to persevere regardless, you know, whatever. And I think both of those movies do that. Uh, where I think, you know, t- to answer your question, it's uh, about Rutger Hauer and what connection he has to any kind of like martial arts or anything like that. That's what tightens up John Wick in a way that just isn't tightened up in this movie, which is that it's so like the the physicality of it. And I think that this is also just in general true of newer movies because they probably have, you know, better techniques to film, better sound effects, better, you know, whatever, like all that kind of stuff is all you know, cranked up to 11, it's a little bit more tight, but you can feel it in, for instance, the sequence where John Wick has to escape his own house because there's a bunch of people just like silently enter and he's doing all these judo tosses and putting people on counters and fucking smashing their face and stuff like it. It's very practiced. It's very rehearsed. And so therefore it's a very like good homage to the, or not homage, but it's a, it's a good like representation of the martial arts in and of themselves. Uh It doesn't take 11 cuts to do it. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Whereas yeah. that's where that starts to fall apart for me for movies like Taken, where it's like it took him like I think they, they counted it up. It was like 12 or 13 cuts for him to get over a chain link link fence. That wasn't the third one. It wasn't the first one. Whatever. It still counts. It's it's bullshit. Well, so, it is a scene in a movie and the worst movie in that series, I think. Uh, agreed. Agreed. The worst. The worst yeah. in that series. So when it comes to this, it's like I really loved the. um they skipped over one of the things that I actually really, really love in these movies. And typically in the eighties and nineties, it was montaged over, but that's fine. Like show us the montage. I would have liked to have seen him develop the skills more that he got. They do a quick sequence of him being taken in and him being taught as a blind person. So like they're first, they're just teaching him how to like, uh, get his way through town or something like that. Like it wasn't even right, anything right. to do with martial arts. And then eventually he graduates, but it's, just, it just, hop skips and jumps immediately to them like throwing a fruit in the air and he fing gets it you know uh with like a sword or or whatever so i would have liked to see that transition more uh because that's the part that makes it feel kind of like you know it's it's with john wick we get plenty of that because he's still challenged in fights sort of but he has this tight connection to the the martial arts that he's doing whereas i would have preferred to have seen it built up in in this movie but how long is the runtime? Uh, I think this was it's a very good question. Let's look at it. Because up. they get right into the... So that's kind of the thing. There is no space for... Uh, because of the way they paced it, there's just no space for him like learning how to do the martial arts or anything like that because they get right into the plot. Like like Chris said, it's it's maybe eight minutes until they're already into the inciting action that like gets you into the movie. So I don't know if there's any space for that in this movie. It's an hour 26. So there, there could have been space, but this is also a, a time where action movies were only supposed to be an hour and a half. Yeah. 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 It's, it's an interesting dynamic because there are movies like, um, what is it like bullet or escape from New York or something like that, where it's like the first eight minutes or 10 minutes, there's not even any dialogue. It's just, you know, whatever in this one, there's, there's dialogue in that little, in the scene where he arrives at Devereaux's house but outside of that, like if you were to just silence that part or something like that, and it's not really even meaningful dialogue all that much, it it just jumps straight into the action. It just goes. So 
I don't know. I, I personally would have uh, liked to see a little bit more buildup on, on the skills. But, you know, given the time, given the context, maybe that's just not something they were doing back then. Well, it, it wasn't necessary. I do feel like nowadays it's required that people show that they train for three months before doing an action movie. Right. Like that's definitely elevated things in that regard. I guess that's the style now. I guess if you think about like waves of action films throughout the decades, it's, you know, there's, you know, from Russia with love where he's just judo chopping someone's neck. Right. <laughs> and then they fall off a train, you know? Right. Yeah. And then they're just like gone or they're yeah. not they unconscious. They freeze and, up. Yeah. 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 You know, or then even throughout the eighties and nineties when people get shot, you know, they do that, that, that like body like spazzes and then yeah. they fall over. Yeah. 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 Uh, no, that's definitely true. And I feel like nowadays, or there was like a phase where it's all, the Matrix. It's all slow mo. Yeah, wire work or Zack you know, Snyder movies. Still, right? Uh, yeah, but like wire work flying through the like Charlie's Angels flying through a fence. You know, <laughs> yeah. It's just like you know, like that extreme Matrix type martial arts. And now I think it's John Wick is the new yeah. phase of yeah. action movie. Yeah, yeah. And uh, but yeah, so I think back then it wasn't really ne- necessary. But I do. All right, maybe I am overthinking the fact that it's not being appropriated. It's just, that's, that's what happens. A retelling of a story. It's like uh, Santa Claus. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think it, it didn't, I, I didn't get the impression that it was doing anything like uh, specifically writing anybody out. Not that there's a whole lot of, you know, but it, it does. I'd be curious to know specifically like who these people that took him in were or anything like that, because it's like, is there a really a, a very well-known Vietnamese martial art because ostensibly I don't that's know. where he is right I really don't know and I don't know if there's a village where they teach everybody like <laughs> that's like how do they come upon like the chances of him finding that village where the thing they do for fun is cut fruit in the air with their eyes closed right you know? yeah exactly they just happen to be very specialized towards the skills that he's developing but he needs to yeah. to get through this story so yeah I, I was i was just thinking about that because in my favorite movie remo williams the adventure begins they have a they have a korean martial arts in that mm-hmm. but they have the korean they have a white guy playing it Really? And it was just like a, a very common thing. It's still a common thing to kind of whitewash Asian characters. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a and, and to that point, it's like that's why it was a little bit, you know, that's like, for instance, Enter the Dragon or uh, any of those movies. It's like they basically always made it's like Bruce Lee was the one Asian guy practicing martial arts who was good. Everybody right. else would be a villain. Like, yeah. Like and then in and especially in Enter the Dragon, then like the white guy, uh Mr. Roper of all people. <laughs> like not not Mr. Roper, the actor from Three's Company, but his name is Roper, and I just know Mr. Roper from <laughs> from Three's Company as the the <laughs> landlord who kept sticking his nose in everyone's business. Um but yeah, then the white guy is like, Oh, I'll help you. Like I'm a you know, whatever. And, and so it kind of, it does sort of set that tone, but there wasn't really that much of that overtone in this movie. It was, it was, no, I was overthinking it. I was being ridiculous. Yeah. But I want to ask you this, if you noticed, um, so there were two dummies in Reno, the one that kidnapped them and put them in the van. Okay. Uh, there were, they like stole the van from uh, the car from that old oh, lady. Yeah. 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 Yep. 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 So, so the guy that cut his thumb on the sword and threw the, the sword out the window. Yeah. Do you recognize him from anything else? I didn't. 
His name is Nick Cassavetes. What? Yeah. And he was in a couple episodes of Entourage. Yeah. Yeah. I he was know the him. director that made. Uh, uh, what was the movie? Uh, it's the one where he crashes the car and then gets addicted. Where he makes, to- yeah, where he makes him. Makes uh, Vinny. Is that his name? Vinny? Yeah. Vincent. Vinny Chase. Uh, yeah. Do his own stunts and crash the car. And yeah. Send some spiraling oh, to become I an addict. I had no idea. Yeah. That dude is so. Uh, because what would have given that away to me is what I noticed in Entourage is that that guy towers over everybody. Like, he's so tall. Yeah. He's like Chris Scott tall, basically. And he wasn't, he didn't seem that tall at all. And he was wearing a cowboy hat. Yeah. It's like, how tall was the other guy? Yeah. How did they do that? That's that's also the other thing is that, like, the man, the villains in this movie, there's no room for subtlety. They are just over the top. They're making designer drugs. They're, uh, you know, and, you know, to the to the movie's credit, you know, they're just rich white men. That's the that's the bad guys in this movie It's just rich white right. guys. They're not they're not leaning too heavy on, you know, what, you know, some of the Bond movies do a little bit where. But I mean, everyone in the Bond movies is either a communist or like, you know, whatever. It's it's pretty right. Right. It's it's overt. Right. It's not. Uh, but. Uh, but yeah, there was, uh, the, the guys who, um, actually, actually get Nick Parker and actually get the kid. Like they're just treating women badly and not giving a fuck about his cane sword and like all that kind of stuff. Like they're just over the top. They give you the reasons to hate them and you do. And then, so when they get justice, it's like, or, or when they get cut down, basically, uh, you feel good about it. So, uh, all in all it was, it's a, it's a crazy movie. Um, I would say it's uh it's paced it's really a banger. nutty. Like it's a banger. It's it's just yeah, it's and that's why it just falls in line with today's rampage movies, right? Because it's just like from start to finish, they it's just going. Like it just pushes forward. Um it does a little bit get the feeling that, you know, certain characters were written in just to kind of like get you from point a to point b but not in the way that um for instance one of the movies that i absolutely absolutely fucking hate is uh the tim burton or is it tim burton i don't know uh the alice in wonderland movie is that a tim, tim burton, burton? yeah mm-hmm. uh my buddy had me watch that one time and it drove me crazy because it felt like playing a video game oh we have to go here to collect this and then with that we can go here and you know whatever it's just it wasn't anything meaningful at all it was a bullshit movie this movie doesn't really suffer from that a because number one you don't get the feeling unlike alice in wonderland it's like not aspiring to be anything different than what it is which is you know fine um and then uh and and it does kind of just there are some characters it introduces just to kind of plot plod the movie forward like for instance the Devereux uh senior the the drug maker uh, well, not drug maker, but the the guy they captured to make the drugs, John Locke. Uh-huh. John Locke. Yeah, it. I I understand that they had to put like a mission and a purpose to the movie, but I feel like they could have written that in a different way. And honestly, his character was on screen and didn't do anything. Like he had his own little journey. I mean, there was that moment at the in the flashback where he like kind of ditches yeah Nick Parker at the, yeah. the war, and then it kind of was mirrored in the hallway where they're getting shot at at the underground drug making the, the underground Vegas drug layer. <laughs> yeah. yeah that's a club for some reason yeah. uh, and so uh you know like nick parker's trying to get out of this gunfight and then frank just ditches him right and 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 but it comes back later with these weird fire fireworks that he made yeah yeah because yeah. i guess 
the materials that you or... use to make designer drugs also can be used to make explosives. I don't know. Well, yeah, don't they? You're not supposed to like they. You don't, you're not supposed to be near a meth lab because those blow up super easily. Apparently, hey, you know what? That's fair. Maybe I just don't know my way around meth. I just wait, man. Just wait to your thirties. Yeah. So I'm kidding. All in all, it's a fun watch. You know, it's, it's not necessarily the type of thing that, uh, you know, it's, it's not like if you're settling in for a good movie, you know, whatever, I wouldn't say that. What I would say though, is it mirrors. It's, it's fun the entire way through. Like it doesn't feel like it's dragging at any point, which some of those movies like can tend to do where it's like, all right, I'm fucking bored of this. Like what? In fact, some, some bond movies even sometimes have like a middle drag. Um, yeah. this one doesn't have a middle drag. It's fun. Um, there's some pretty unique things that they have him do. Uh, but like the driving sequence is really fun. Um, some of the sword play sequences are really fun. The cornfield, um, the, the sword fight at the end is really fun. Um, there is subtle character development. I guess the, the crying thing, you know, maybe I just didn't pick up on, on a lot of the stuff. I might be, I think there's huge character development things. That don't happen anymore. Light I, on I do feel like like uh, character setup and uh, setup setups for characters and then payoffs at the end. I don't feel mm. like that really happens anymore. Mm. I feel like you know something bad happens and then rampage happens in right. new action movies. You right, know, right. Uh, like an, there's an inciting incident. There's a uh, you know a wife dies, a dog dies, someone gets kidnapped, and mm. there's like no payoff at the end. Mm-hmm. But like the cr- the crying, even the Frank with them stitching on his buddy and coming back mm-hmm. and then uh you know he found his friend and then he decided not to continue with them it's like that's not his purpose in his journey yeah he's like meant to be a wanderer now yeah that's that's the kind of the thing is it also doesn't give you the resolution that you kind of expect right because the resolution that you expect is that oh he's gonna stay in this kid's life forever and and you know right. they're all gonna live happily ever after but it's like no, that's not the character. They do actually stay true to the character that it's like, nope, he's a he's a wandering swordsman. He is a he's a Ronin samurai. But even the kid always complaining about everyone always ditching him and leaving him. Yeah. It's like yeah, he still does he the Nick leaves him at the end, but to be with someone that the kid thought was his father. Yeah. The kid thought his father ditched him. So it's like, I can't go with you because all these feelings you developed with me, you need to have him with your father. Mm. Yeah. So I do think there's more emotional arcs than modern movies. I feel like it's hard to find emotion in modern day movies. Yeah. Which is why I think it's easy to watch a movie nowadays on my phone versus sitting down and being invested in the movie. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's it's those things that uh like actually drive that's that's something I was thinking um when I also was thinking of doing a project where I was because I don't watch a lot of the Marvel movies. I've skipped uh-huh. a lot of them, um, but every now and then I'll see one or like every now and then I'm bored. So I'll put something on. And that's basically my thought for it, it's it's exactly kind of what my problem is with any of the Thor movies. Uh, in fact, uh, really, I've only watched the first one and then I watched Ragnarok, which everyone thought was great. I didn't care for it all that much um but but uh it's like i don't give a shit about anything that's happening at all they haven't set up the character in any sort of way that because he 
uh, in the first movie, the whole point, it's like a fish out of water story, right? And so here's this guy who's used to having all these powers. He gets his powers stripped away from him. And only when he's, you know, virtuous or whatever the fuck, he gets his powers back. Like, that's kind of the idea. Um, but they don't set up the character at all because he's just a majestic hero from the start. They strip him of his powers, but then he just, they, it like is really quickly that it switches back over and he starts doing hero shit again. So it's like, you don't actually feel anything about how the character has transformed at all in the movie or anything like that. So it's like, to me, it's just a, it's a fluff, you know, whatever. Whereas in this movie, yeah, you're right. It's like, there's a little bit, uh, there's, there's some emotional investment into what people are doing. Oh, yes. Emotional investment. So, pivoting off of the emotional investment. Uh, <laughs> you want to talk about this movie you had me watch? Yeah, let's do it. I'm confused by your movie selections often. But you said this was going to be an Indian movie. I mean, it's... Okay, so... There are me, Indians in it, but yes. they're, it's... It's, it's not, not an Indian uh, movie. Okay, let me let me explain. So... Back in the CSS days, our first uh, our first movie special or our first holiday special, I had Chris watch Lagan, which was a movie that I had seen uh, several times when I was young. Uh, it's an Indian movie, basically. And like when I say Indian movie, I don't actually mean uh, a movie that has Indian people in it like this movie was. It's actually an Indian movie. Um and it's basically about a poor village that is being oppressed by British colonists, colonists, Col- British colonists, whatever. And uh, they get a slim chance. They're they're just uh, getting taxed beyond belief. They're kept under the thumb, and they have a slip, slim chance for liberation. And it's in the form of learning how to play cricket, which is a British person's game. Uh, and so then they they train and they play this game and there's ups and downs and whatever and uh the one thing but that they play I, they're trying to play the british to win their village back right or not pay taxes or not something. pay taxes which is ruining yeah. them and keeping them under the thumb and uh the one thing i forgot about this movie is that it's like three and a half hours long. <laughs> there's an intermission yeah there's an intermission built into the movie so when going into this movie i wanted to pick something uh that also had because there there are Indian movies that I could have selected, and there's one actually that now comes to mind that's actually Indian. We would have to watch it with subtitles and everything like that. But it's the classic uh, Indian story that everyone uh, references always. It's, okay. it's a classic of Indian cinema. Um, I don't know where we would get that, and it's definitely on my list for next time or the next opportunity that I have a chance to get you to watch a movie because I think it has themes that you would really enjoy. What's that one called? Shole. Shole. I think you would really uh I think you'd really dig it. Okay. So is that like a now not to sound uh insensitive to Indian movies. <laughs> but uh-huh. is it is it uh basically like a musical where they have like a moment of emotion or something that can't be expressed with words that they have to sing and dance through? Uh, I mean, there, there is some of that. It's so it's, there's some of that. It's a, it's a, it actually would fit perfectly. And this is why I was kicking myself afterwards because I didn't think about this until much after, but it's like an, it's I I I don't know if this is an appropriate term or not, but since, you know, I feel like I can use it, uh, I'm going to go ahead. Um, 
my my father told me this, and so it's not exactly politically correct, maybe, but it's sometimes referred to as a curry western. Oh my goodness, that's you, amazing! I've yeah. never heard that before, but that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's a curry western, so there is some some song and dance, but it holds a lot of the same themes of what we've been talking about. It's on Amazon Prime. I guess is I'll it really? watch that. Yeah. Oh, okay. Maybe. Okay. We'll both go watch this and we'll come back. It's a classic story. We'll do that on Easter or something. Yeah. Perfect. But no. So the reason why, so I didn't come to that conclusion and I had a handful of movies just in my direct memory bank that I could be like, oh, this has Indian people, Indian culture, something to that effect. And here's the reason why I picked this one. It's twofold. Okay. Number one. Because it's a movie about subverting expectations. And in this subversion of expect, and mind you, I don't think it was well executed. I'm not saying this is. <laughs> 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 uh, in, in subverting expectations, you learn that the mimicry of doing something may be good to start, but bringing your authentic self to your endeavors is the key. That's it's only when you're being authentic to yourself can you actually, you know, et cetera, et cetera. The second part of this movie that actually is not a theme, but, you know, whatever. If I could do it all over again, if I could trade it all in, I want to be a chef. So I was about to ask you that because you were, the other movie you were thinking about was another cooking movie. Yeah. The other movie I was going to suggest was a completely uh, white movie. I don't think there's even a single <laughs> like, there's not, oh, there's there's one person of color in the entire movie. <laughs> um, yeah, it's like an episode of Friends. Yeah, exactly. It, it might as well be, you know, Chandler, like, you know, whatever. It's, it's all that. <laughs> uh, but the other movie I was looking at was Burnt. And that is also a chef movie, and it's it follows along the same themes as uh, Whiplash, um, which is basically, you know, s- obsession is a good thing and a bad thing. It can be a good thing, right, but then too right. much of a good thing can be a bad thing. That's what Burnt is about, and I, and I love that movie. But the movie that Chris had to watch was The 100-Foot Journey. The 100-Foot Journey. Yeah. It's about an Indian family uh, from Mumbai. Did mm-hmm. I say that properly? Mm-hmm. Uh, moving to France, and their van breaks down. Their brakes break. It's a big break. line in the movie. Yeah, <laughs> brakes break for a reason. Mm-hmm. It's a big line in the movie, and they stop in this little town in France, and they decide that's where they want to open up their new restaurant. Mm-hmm. And they open up. They buy an old beat up building across the street from this French woman's restaurant that has a Michelin star. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's uh, played by Helen Mirren. I don't remember her name in the movie. Neither Let's look do it I. up. It doesn't matter. Uh, Mallory. Mallory is her name in the movie. Oh, oh. And so she's upset that this Indian family is moving across the street from her and opening up their own restaurant. But inside this family is this young man. I'm assuming. Uh, what's his name? Hassan. Yeah. Uh, who has uh, the knack for cooking. He's this natural talent for being a chef. And uh, they have a battle. They battle. They have restaurant battles across the street from each other. Yeah. They're trying to win over customers to their restaurants. And that's what the movie is kind of about. About her trying to get a Michelin star and this Indian family trying to establish a home yeah. for their restaurant. And this movie opens up with an intense scene. I'm trying to remember the opening. It's like it's a wedding, I think, or something like that. Or maybe they're just at a regular restaurant and the uh, restaurant catches on fire. 
Mm, mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. And they try to get all their stuff out and the whole family gets out and the mom is trapped inside the building mm-hmm. and is burned alive. Like she dies in this building fire. Yeah. It's insane. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's insane. Yeah. They need to get you emotionally invested in the, in the characters right away. So then they, and then they, they, um, there was this really long scene. I thought it was kind of, I was afraid the whole movie was going to happen in front of that, uh, immigration window at the airport. Oh yeah. Where yeah. they're like, Oh, why are you trying to get into this country? It's like, Oh, the vegetables don't sound good here in England. I think they went from England to France. Yeah. I think that's what the story was, but mm-hmm. man, interesting stuff going on here in this movie. Yeah. So let me preface it's <clears throat> the selection of this movie. It's like, yeah, it was, it was, it's certainly one of the weaker ones that I've definitely pushed. I think uh, definitely weaker than Lagan. But um, and and it has one massive fumble in it that I think was a great opportunity that they missed. I think they might have picked it up. I'm kind of I'm kind of forgetting uh, how it goes. But there was one thing that I thought matched the story arc, and they end up fumbling it real hard at the end, if I recall correctly. But I might be wrong. But basically, it's. Uh, a lot of the hijinks that go on throughout the movie, because it's basically like, oh, you know, she did this. So now we're going to retaliate by doing this. And it's a lot of like back and forth between the two different restaurants uh, throughout the time. Like, oh, they they uh, she gets a noise ordinance complaint against them or whatever. So they have to turn their music down or they have to do this. So then they or she reads. Yeah. And then she reads their menu and buys all that stuff at the market before they can buy it. Right. Yeah. Exactly. It's, it's a whole bunch of that kind of competition. But I think one of the things that it was pushing the idea of, and then this is the major fumble, is that they don't execute on this specifically, is that the restaurant ends up building rapport and charm with the people because it's different because it's uh, uh-huh. they're, they're doing their authentic Indian, you know, whatever. And they end up kind of building this, this fan base through that. The problem is, and I don't recall, you'd actually, you'll be able to tell me better, but at the end, the kid goes and studies. So I thought the idea of the movie was like, Oh, what makes you different is actually like what drives your success. Like keep, don't, don't, don't try and be like everybody else. Be your unique individual self. Bring your authentic self into it and you know, whatever. And I think that kind of gets touched at the end when the kid is a super big success. But at first, he goes through this total segue to learn classic French cooking. And then he ends up saving her ass by cooking for her or something like that. Uh, but it's classic French cooking. And that was the part that just completely derailed where I thought the story was going because I thought the idea was that, but it's like, Oh wait, no, now he's folding under into like classic French cooking style. So he's not doing the authentic thing. Am I right? Uh, I don't think he, cause okay. So she wants a Michelin star. She wants the second one. Right. Cause she hasn't had one since her husband died years ago. Yeah. And so she, gets him to after he burns his hands in a really bizarre <laughs> scene i guess some of her chefs get mad at their restaurant and try to burn his restaurant down right yes yes yes, yes. and so he tries to save the restaurant by throwing water on it. he grabs a pot that's really hot and he burns his hands and so he yeah and they have a nice little scene where they mend uh their differences by him making her an omelet but he can't cook because he doesn't have hands because yeah. they're they're burnt burnt <laughs> and so she has to like 
do all the mixing for him. She has to add all the ingredients and they have like this weird, she's teaching him how to, or he's teaching her how to golf or something type of moment yeah. where he's just like, has like this weird mitt of a burnt hand like yeah. showing her how to properly whisk these eggs because yeah. she wants him to make her, her an omelet. And uh, that's how he wins her over by making this omelet that's very a traditional item, food item, but he puts his own little twist on it. Yeah. Because you can see in this scene where she's having to make the omelet for him that together with him, she's like rolling her eyes the entire time. Like, oh, you want to put all of that in there? Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. That's too much. <laughs> oh, what? You want to do more chili flakes? What? It's going to be too spicy. And then it's not too spicy. And then yeah, she really enjoys the omelet and, and asks him to be part of her restaurant. And there's a thing with that. The, the His dad is not happy about it. And she just wants another Michelin star for a year. Give me a year yeah. so I can get a Michelin star. And what I took from the whole thing was he learned how to do classic French cuisine, but what made him, his contribution to the restaurant was his uh, Indian traditions. Yeah, his you unique know, that flair. Box of, his uh, box of spices that he has from his burnt mother, which was really sad. It's like so extreme. Yeah. Like, why did they show her burning in the <laughs> restaurant? But he had like this case of spices that his dad saved. Mm-hmm. And he's like, these are yours. You're supposed to cook with these. Yeah. And so like he was able to make these classic French cuisine meals with an Indian twist on them, which I think is what, you know, made him skyrocket to through the culinary scene in France. Yeah. Yeah. And then he ends up becoming like a major big success or something like that. But he ends up realizing that it's hollow, all his fame or whatever. So then he goes back and meets that girl that he was uh, hanging out with. I really disliked him going to Paris and being the big deal chef. Yeah. I was rolling my eyes through the whole thing. I thought it was the worst part of the movie. I didn't think the movie was that bad. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed the movie. I thought there were some solid performances. I thought Helen Mirren was great. I thought the guy who played the father was great. Yeah, yeah. I thought I thought the older brother was annoying. Um, you know, stuff oh, with yeah. the younger sous chef was good. I thought, you know, I, I think it's a solid movie. Mm-hmm. But when he, when he goes to Paris, it's just like all the tropes you can think of. Yeah. It's like, oh, I'm a success now. I'm going to become an alcoholic. Yeah. Oh, I'm just going to you know, bang all the French babes here in town because everyone loves chefs in France. Apparently they're like rock stars. Which yeah. I didn't believe at all. No, it's, it's, it, you're right. It does get just like tropey out of nowhere because all of a sudden it's supposed to suggest that. Uh, and, and I, it's like the, him bringing the Indian flair to French cooking. It's like, that's less of an overt messaging about being your authentic self. This was just like, it, it then steps into just being so overt that it's like, oh, but you're not being the person who got you here and all this kind of stuff. You're being somebody else. Like, it's just so overt and so over the top. Like, I agree with you. It, it That section gets a little hollow pretty quickly. I think it's like, I don't know. I, I, I'm assuming this whole part was an afterthought. Because I assume if this, I feel like this part probably was done differently and no one or maybe someone didn't know how to execute this part of the the story Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because there's a lot of exposition in it. There's so many like news reports. Yeah. Every time I see a news report, I it's exposition and it's like the, the lamest way to get a point across or information across to the audiences. Having several reporters say, Oh, this person made an excellent dish for dinner tonight. And it's like, like 
no news reporter would ever say that. Yeah, or like, especially when you see an, a movie open, which wasn't the case in this, but like when you see a movie open with like a, a character's like walking by and they look at a TV screen and on the TV is the news. Here's this breaking incident. It's like, oh, it just so happens that this is on at the time. Exactly what they, you know, it just it it kind of tugs at that believability. Um, but yeah, in, in this case, that was also it was like used as a as a it's it's almost like a character that only exists to get you from point a to point b it's like the same thing yeah they were, they were just doing yeah. it with a news story yeah yeah I it's know a you know. interesting trope but uh but overall i it, you know there's some there's some uh it definitely felt like an american movie being told in another country you know like like yeah. it, it was an american's take on what an indian family is and what a french family is like yeah, I mean, they certainly go they go heavy with and, you know, maybe it's true for a reason because it was also true in my family. So who knows, you know, whatever. But it's like they go with the, you know, sort of oppressive father angle pretty easily um, or, or like he wants to keep him doing, you know, whatever he was uh, in their restaurant and he wants to, you know, not let him flourish and do all that kind of stuff. It's like. That I don't know enough of whether or not that's a trope, but it certainly kind of seems like that's, uh, you know, I've seen that shit way too many times. Right. But you also live it, right? Yeah, I live it. So that's why I'm pretty tired of the, <laughs> the mechanic. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, it's um, it hit those notes for me. It gets my it gets my, you know, I love to watch cooking shows. I love to watch, you know, that kind of thing. So it, it certainly got that part going for me. Um. I like the messaging around bringing your authentic self because I think that's important and or at least I've found that to be important because I've also tried to fake a whole lot of what I do. Like uh, I've I've tried to, you know, uh, go to school for this or I just need another degree for that, whatever. And it's it, you know, you you can't you, you can't do that forever. Like you you uh-huh. have, have inevitably have to own up to the person that you really are and all that kind of stuff. And then once you do bring your authentic true self into what you're doing, it ends up, uh, you know, working out really, or at least for me, it's been working out a lot better. Um, and evidently for the character in the movie, he becomes a, a master chef in France, a master chef in France. I, I wonder though, if he, he was, he was being his true self the entire time. Mm-hmm. Like he, he stumbled upon those old books, old Michelin cookbooks. Yeah. And he was able to make a meal that was perfect. There right. was like that pic- picnic scene where they were, where he's fishing mm-hmm. at the river or the creek. Yeah. And he was able to make like mayonnaise and look like mayonnaise and ketchup and Dijon mustard. <laughs> but it, it wasn't that. I know it wasn't that. It was, <laughs> yeah. I, I know what you mean. It's some mysterious ingredients. Yeah. Yeah. Like he made these homemade sauces. There was like six of them. Mm-hmm. And she was taking spoonfuls of these sauces. And I am not a sauce person. I don't, I'm not a big fan of dressing on my salad. I'm not no. a big fan of like uh, maybe some ketchup on a hamburger, but just like not a, a, not a spoonful. Not by I'm not going to take a spoon. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like dipping her in, like, entire spoon of this, whatever sauce it is. And she's eating it. And yeah, I'm like, gross. And, and she's just like amazed at each bite. And I'm like, what's going on in these, like, what's going on in France? How are they eating their? What's going on here? Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. It's, but, uh, it's wild. But he was able to just do that by, you know, following a recipe. Mm-hmm. And then he was able to make a meal for Helen Mirren uh, at some point. as like a, a, like a truce, a sign of peace. A, yeah. A, a, a nice gesture. Yeah. And she took a bite and you could tell that she liked it, but she threw it away because she had to be stubborn. Mm-hmm. Because they weren't they weren't there yet. Yeah. As two uh, battling restaurants, they weren't at that level yet where they could be friends just just yet. But yeah. 
man, it was, uh, he was, you know, a natural, he's a natural chef, a natural, uh, cook. And, and I wonder if him having to become a French chef or like a master chef in the French's eyes is what would not, not really like validate him to be the guy that can infuse the two cuisines together to make something new and exciting and different. Right. I don't know if that was the point of the movie was you need to validate yourself in someone else's field before you can bring your own twist to it. Right. Yeah. That that was sort of the thing is that that's why I think it kind of fumbled the messaging at the end or, or at least what I was interpreting to be the messaging. Like maybe I'm specifically looking for something or I'm, I'm uh, like, maybe I'm seeking that because that's the kind of validation that I'm looking for is that no, no, your authentic self, like just keep doing what, what you enjoy and what makes you feel good. And that'll bring it all around. Like maybe I was seeking that a little bit too much. But I, I kind of felt like that was the f- message that got kind of fumbling because he he and, and like m- maybe it's because the character was drawn towards French cooking. Like that was the part like what would have been the like what uh, like let me th- n- let me know what you think about this plot mechanic instead. They the movie goes the same. They end up having a truce Hassan and you know, what's her face? And then he drives himself, like, what if instead he learned from her, but instead of becoming a French practitioner with an Indian twist, what if he learned the techniques, did kind of that fusion or did whatever, but that drove their own restaurant to Michelin star status? You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Saying, like, it, it. what if it didn't require the enveloping or the, like, packaging of, oh, it's French food in a French, you know, in a French environment with this twist? It's like, what if he was able to do it on his own, in a sense? Or, like, what if he learned the techniques and, and you know, did that, but then he elevated his their own restaurant to Michelin star status? Which I think ends up, he ends up getting a star, right, out of his own restaurant. I don't. But, but not but, I, but not the family one. That's the, that's the thing that I'm kind that's of. A, that's bugging me. Why did yeah? Why didn't he do that? Why didn't he go right. back across the street as opposed to going to Paris? Right. That that was kind of the thing that that I think then fumbles the messaging of what they were trying. Because and again, I totally might just be seeking it because that's what I was trying to get out of the movie. Maybe <laughs> because I'm like, no, somebody validate me, Dad, validate me. <laughs> um, but but to me, I was just sort of like. Um, yeah, I, I thought it was, uh, the point that they were trying to make is like, bring your authentic self to work or bring your authentic self into what you're doing. And then, you know, like the age old messaging, if you love what you do, you won't work a day in your life, blah, 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 all all that kind of stuff. Like, I thought that's what they were kind of trying to get across, but then he hops off and does French stuff. And it's like, that's fine. Like, I don't have a problem in doing that, but it does kind of muddle up the messaging because it's like, it's confusing as to why he went. And did the whole thing and ends up coming. I mean, I, it, it just seems like you said, I, it seems kind of rushed or like an afterthought. They wanted to have the effect of him coming back home. But it's like right. you could have you didn't have to cram that mechanic in there. It felt forced. Like you could also just have him do it across the street and make renown doing that. Like maybe it doesn't add as much screen time. Like I'm not sure if that's what they were going for. I'm not sure. I don't. I don't know if that's it. But I wonder if they did have something similar to that, where they had him go back to his family restaurant, and maybe they didn't get a Michelin star. Mm. Uh, I don't know though. That would that would be really mean. But, yeah. Uh, 
<laughs> it's just like he fails. Like that's that's that might, what, that might be too overtly uh, on the nose for them. Yeah, and they're storytelling, but yeah, but I don't understand that either. Why they didn't? He just didn't. At, if at the end it didn't matter that he had all this big fame and success, because also it didn't seem like that's what he wanted out of life. Right. Like it seemed like he wanted just to be home and have a family and and to cook for someone that cares about him. That's what I assumed his goals were in life. Yeah. There was, there the was reason, no motivation to be like at no point in the movie was did there seem like there was a motivation for him to be like the cream of the crop or like the the known right. chef or you know whatever. So it seems like weird that he would be it, like if they wanted to make the plot because that's what burnt is about. So that's that's what's kind of confusing is and and now I'm actually starting to think more and more that that ending was a little bit like we have to wrap it up or we have to add something or you know something yeah, like that yeah. because. The plot of Burnt is about that he wants to be the top of the top, the best of the best, and therefore he has an obsession and an addictive personality, but then that ends up manifesting itself in bad ways. So he becomes the Anthony Bourdain, you know, before he cleaned up and, you know, whatever, or like a lot of these celebrity chefs or like, you know, whatever, where it's like you're so intense and so then you get a drug habit or something and then your addictive personality feeds into that and now you're torn astray from what actually makes you feel good and, and you know, dress, so as your life's calling. That's the uh-huh. point of Burnt. But it's like they kind of sandwich that at the end of this movie. And it's like, what the fuck was that about? Like, I, I don't get the, it. The only thing I can see is he was really trying to make those French sauces for that girl because it's his love interest. Yeah. And it seems like he has to be in that kitchen with her to really spend time with her because – chefs are always in the kitchen you know right. they're always working they work long hours i think she even says that in the movie at some point we both yeah. are chefs we both work this would never work out we yeah, both work yeah. too much so i i don't know if that was his motivation to actually try to get into the french kitchen but the french restaurant's kitchen but it's still kind of it's a smaller movie then you don't have to go to paris and make weird infusion plates where you yeah, know the sea I, urchin was ruined for some weird reason <laughs> who knows yeah, that was that was kind of my thoughts is I didn't understand why he didn't like why they put that ending there. Whereas it's like he could have just hopped back across the street. And now with all the tools that he's learned and all the techniques and all the whatever, now he builds off like a family dynasty of restaurants and stuff like that. And he can finally get the love interest because now he doesn't have to be handcuffed to the kitchen. He's, you know, whatever, like, yeah, or, yeah. or something like that. Like, and, you know, I'm a shitty writer, so definitely don't <laughs> take take my word for it or anything like that. But I, I agree. Like, that's kind of what I felt is that the movie chugged along in a good way for me. Um, and then just kind of at the end, it sort of fumbled the messaging and made it kind of weird. But yeah, because I like the relationship between the father and Helen Mirren. I thought that was a good mm-hmm. arc. I thought their relationship mm-hmm. was interesting. You know, they both lost their partners. Yeah, a long time ago, or in a fire, or in the kitchen. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Uh, and, and like how they, you know, bonded and got back together. As you know, it was kind of tropey. Like you saw it coming, but still, yeah. It was nice. It was nice. It was it was heartfelt. It was good. yeah. It was it was uh, comforting. Yeah. And, yeah. And you know, thinking about the young chef and the young sous chef, it's like, oh, they're gonna they're gonna be a thing at some point. But right, that one that one was a little weak for me. But yeah, yeah, it was it was a little different. I don't know. Overall, uh, I regret uh, choosing that as my because it's not as you point out, it's not an Indian flick, uh, really. Um, but it had. The chef aspects, which I like, it had kind of the authentic self plot that, you know, derails itself eventually. Um, but, you know, it's uh, 
should have picked Shole or or uh, what was the other one? Uh, it was like namesake. No. Name oh keep? yeah, the namesake. The namesake. That's my that's my other alternate. Um, and that one also, I think that one actually is. It's a well, that one's a uh, Jhumpa Lahiri uh, story. So that's it's a very popular uh, novelist from India. So that one's actually an, an Indian story as well. Um, it has everyone's favorite American Indian Cal Penn in it. Yeah, he's <laughs> um, your hero. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that one's also a good movie, and that one that one actually. Uh, has a lot of relatability to me as well. I find maybe all of these movies do. The only one that didn't, even though I liked it, was Slumdog Millionaire. Um, but that one has no relatability to me at all because it's like I never grew up under that dire circumstances. You know, I was never homeless or, a, you know, so it's like I, I just it. it's certainly very classic India, you know, whatever. But I have no relation to it because I. Yeah. Okay, so uh, all in all, the the first uh, the first watches, you know, I would uh, like you want to give it a, a a number like one out of ten. Oh, I give a uh, hundred foot journey. I give it a solid seven. Yeah, I still yeah. enjoyed the movie except for the ending, but I that's that's kind of the the way that I was thinking about um, Blind Fury is that I had to stop thinking about it in the way that like. Oh, like exactly kind of what we were doing, like making comparisons to John Wick or doing things like that. It's like it's a different movie. It's it's a different yeah. movie. Like it's mm-hmm. a it's from a lot longer ago and B, it's just a different movie. It's not executing on the same things that uh, John Wick is like. John Wick is a purely serious tone with every now and then like a quip to the camera or something like that. And then back to you know, whatever. So um I liked, I really liked the play that it had for me between like relating this movie to other genre kind of movies and stuff like that. Really like that. So I'd give it like a solid, you know, six, seven, eight, somewhere in that range. Probably not an eight. I'll say a six, six, seven. Um, <laughs> uh, because I think it was, it had all the right ingredients. Um, it was fun the entire time. There was not a point where I thought like this is a fucking drag or, you know, or, like I, I didn't uh, I wasn't on my phone at all during the entire movie. Like the, it's fun. It's fun to yeah. watch. It's got yeah. good like the, the only knock that I have to it is that it's uh, it just like has the tendency to sort of barrel through. But that's what kind of keeps the pacing alive. And that's what kind of keeps you invested in this. So I can't fault it that much for that because it's. You know, that's that's just the style of movie. It, I, I don't think it's it doesn't really detract from anything in a sort of way. It's just not it doesn't build at each moment, you know, into uh, a final crescendo. It's like it just gets you there and then holds you there for the entire movie. Like it just goes. Yeah. 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 Um, so it, it depends on your style, you know, uh, I, but uh, I, I thought it was fun. It was a lot of fun. And uh, hey, if you can get it on Amazon and YouTube, like go do that. Yeah, check it out. Check it out. All right. So there's our part one of our holiday special. Those are our obscure movies that you might have missed. That's what it should be from now on our format. Yeah, that's it. That's it. That's that's what it is. That's the format because it's like last time. What did you have me watch last time? Oh, you had me watch Delta Force. Delta Force. And I can tell you that a lot of people in my age group probably haven't seen Delta Force. So it's like, yeah, we can call that. No, I don't know. It was it was pretty big at the time, though. No. Uh, yeah. I mean, there was a sequel. Yeah. Oh, there was. Hedgehog Norris. Yeah. There's Delta Force too. Oh man. 
Yeah, All right. I know. I know. So obscure the soundtrack, movies. I think, is way better than the movie. Oh, the second one is better? The, no, the soundtrack from oh, the first the movie is the best. Yeah. The best out of all of it. Yeah. We can link that in Spotify below. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's that's part one. That's our obscure movies you may have missed. Um, definitely stay tuned for part two where we're going to get into a discussion on the Bond movies that we had each other watch. And maybe we can even settle this once and for all. Who is the best Bond and who is the worst? We'll see if we can uh, actually wrap that up tight. I feel like Chris and I will just be disagreeing about that for life. So I don't know if we can wrap that part up. But we'll be right back with part two. Uh, Chris, anything to plug? Any last words? Nothing to plug at the moment. Uh, Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Happy Hanukkah. Yeah, same here. Nothing, you know, not not plugging anything, but uh, happy holidays. And uh, since probably you should uh, or you're taking time off work. If you're not taking off t- time off work, you definitely should because uh, life is too short. And instead, spend your time watching uh, Blind Fury and the Hundred Foot Journey. <laughs>